Good morning, everyone. I hope you're all doing well. I hope your family is doing well. I know the times right now are tough and we're all going through trials and this is one of those times where we're learning how to love one another well, especially in the social distancing aspect. So I just, again, we're praying for all of you. We are asking that God would give us strength, all of us, the whole nation, everybody who is affected by this, because we all are. And so I just want to pray for you guys. And I know that all of our entertainment has gone away and our, our avenues to release have gone away. And so just, I want to remind you that this is the best opportunity for all of us to really just sit down and get to know who God is more. Open up your Bible. If you've watched all your Netflix shows or your Prime video shows or whatever kind of things you're doing, your YouTube videos, remember this is a great opportunity. Right now, you have an opportunity to learn about who God is. So I encourage you in your days right now with your families to just continue to keep reading your word. Because it's only... It's one of the only ways you can get to know God is through reading his word. Now, there's other ways like praying and learning from others and being discipled and that sort of thing. But this is a really great opportunity to have so that you can know who God is. And so I encourage you to do that. In fact, let me pray for our message right now as we're going to get started. Heavenly Father, I just pray for this nation, Lord. I pray for the workers who are exposed Lord, I pray for all of my friends and family members. I pray for all of the churches. Lord, we pray for the first responders, the doctors. God, give them wisdom. Help them to know the right way. Help them to know how they should handle these situations. Help us all to know what we are to do, how we are to move forward. Father God, I pray for all those who I've come across that may have been affected by this virus. We lift up those that we know in this congregation who have family members that are suffering with COVID-19. Lord, help them off the ventilators. We pray for all of our loved ones, our friends and our families and our neighbors. Lord, we even pray for our enemies, those who hate us, that you would heal them from this sickness, that you would take care of them, that you would love them well that they would know that your presence is there. <clears throat> Lord, I just pray wholeheartedly for our government, that they would look to you for wisdom. They would start asking you what they should be doing, how they should be running this economy, how they should be taking care of the people, how they should be keeping people safe. But it's up to you. It's your will that will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. So Lord, we just pray that right now. You forgive us of our sins. That we would turn from our ways and start yielding our lives to you. That we would repent. To meshuv in Hebrew, to, to turn 180 degrees from what we were doing to what we need to be doing, which is following you. Learning to love you with everything we have learning to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. 
Father, I pray for this message that those who are here listening to it now would be encouraged to know the truth and the truth would set them free. Father, if it's not from you, take it from me. Don't allow me to say it, but give me the words to speak so that people can be encouraged to know and follow after you. I thank you for this time. We pray all of this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So we have been studying James. Last week, I gave you the introduction. I gave you the who, what, when, where, and why of the book. And I wanted to do those things and also look at the first four verses of the book because we talked about what God meant when he said to us to count it all joy in the midst of trials because it produces something for us. Steadfastness. Now that... That's an interesting word, and I'm going to define it here again, but, but life is hard. Trials are hard. They often test our faith and our patience. They can and will call into question our belief that God is good. Trials make us ask the questions of why this bad thing happened to our loved ones, to ourselves, to others. And I talked about the answer that God allows for bad things to happen in a couple ways and trials to happen in a couple ways. Number one, we have free will. God allows us to have free will and he won't stop that from happening. And so people will say to me, why did this bad thing happen? Well, the reality is God allows free will. God allows you to make choices. Unfortunately, God allows people, and I say unfortunately only in the fact that I wish bad things didn't happen. I really truly wish there was no loss of life in regards to people making bad decisions like murder, shooting a gun, or driving a car while drunk, or whatever, fill in the blank. I wish that, but, but there's free will involved in that. They can choose to do what they want. And that's a, a God who is loving and then the second reason is God's not responsible for our actions or even others' actions. We can find peace in knowing that God is in control, that he knows everything that's going to happen. You can find peace in that moment. Put yourself as a child. When you were sitting there, were you questioning whether your parents were going to pay the bills or put food on the table? Maybe some of you were, but a lot of us never really thought about where our next meal was going to come from. Now, there are some out there who are doing that, but understand that God's in control, and he takes care of those whom he loves. He takes care of the birds of the field. He takes care of the lilies of the grass. He takes care of all of those things. But we need to seek his kingdom and righteousness first. That's what it says. Jesus was telling this in the Sermon on the Mount. So I encourage you guys to know that God's in control even in the midst of all the problems that we're having, all the trials that we're all going through. That might not sound comforting to people. However, knowing that someone in control is in control is comforting to me because I don't need to worry or be anxious if that someone is in control and knows the outcome, as we do as Christians. We know the outcome. He's given us the outcome in the Bible. He tells us what's going to happen in the world and so I can rest in God's control and trust that he has our best in mind God always has our best we might not know it or even see it but the best 
could be in the trial that we're going through. And we could be learning and understanding things. You might not even get an answer to the trial you're getting, but God does reveal himself to us often in times of troubles. Think of Job. Think of Joseph. Think of Paul. Think of Jesus. Ultimately, when we find joy in the midst of trials, it produces something for us, steadfastness. Let me define that for you. Steadfastness is the capacity to continue to bear up under difficult circumstances to endure. Again, capacity to bear up under difficult circumstances to endure. Like 1 Thessalonians says, we have endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Hope. Trust that he has our best in mind when it comes to our lives. That's what we learned last week. Do me a favor, Christians. Don't pretend that trials are not hard. They are. They're very hard. But find rest and peace in God. That's what he's really asking us to do. Don't fake it. Because everyone can see through the fakeness. Be real about it. It's a struggle. But understand that when you rest in God and God is good, his will will be done in your life. Remember what the psalmist said, Psalm 119.71, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your decrees and your statutes. Steadfastness affords us the opportunity to have an effect of perfect and complete faith in God and trust and lacking in nothing in the truth of Jesus Christ. You have time, church, to learn about God. You have time right now in your trials, so don't pass it up. Today, however, we're going to be looking at wisdom and what that looks like for believers in trials. What does wisdom look like for believers in trials? I hope you see the truth about wisdom. Because wisdom is a very important thing. And if you ask for it and don't really understand it or believe it, that you're going to get wisdom, then you're not going to get it, it says. And we're going to look at that in a minute. But first, let me read the whole passage for us. And I'm going to have you guys see the truth of God's word. Turn with me to James chapter 1, verse 5 is where I'm going to be at. And that's where we're going to read. So James 1, verse 5. It says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to those, to all of those without reproach, and it'll be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that they will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let me break this down for us. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all, without reproach, and it'll be given to him. If any of you lacks wisdom, it begs the question, what is wisdom, church? What is wisdom? Let me define wisdom because knowing the definition of a term is very important so you don't misunderstand how the term needs to be applied. So let me define what wisdom is. Wisdom is application of knowledge. 
Knowledge is information. Wisdom is putting that information into practice. Knowledge is comprehending facts. Wisdom is handling your life through those facts. Knowledge is something that you know in theory. Wisdom is practical. Or putting into practice the knowledge that you are knowing something and putting it into practice properly. We need wisdom to respond to trials in our lives. Let me give you an example. Many of us know how to drive a car and we go to driver's education. And many of us get knowledge about how to drive a car, how a car works, what the rules of the road are. But then we have to go out and apply that knowledge through a driver's test. In fact, you have a learner's permit in the state of Michigan at least, and that you drive around for at least a year before you actually get your driver's license. And so you get knowledge, you're educated, and you have information, but then the wisdom aspect becomes where you have to apply that knowledge. That's the same kind of thing that God is talking about here. You may know about who God is, but it's through the testing and the trials that you learn to apply that knowledge where you can find joy. That's real wisdom in the midst of trials. And sometimes Christians or people think that Christians are crazy. How could you find joy in the midst of this, the loss of your son or your daughter? Well, it's through the knowledge that God is for us, who can be against us, and being able to apply that knowledge using wisdom in the midst of trials. That's what God's doing for us. Here's the thing they don't teach you in driver's education. They don't teach you how to respond to all the situations you're possibly going to face on the road. For example, what do I do when someone jumps out in front of my car? They don't teach you that. What do I do or how do I keep myself safe and everyone in the car safe when I come to a pothole in the road or I come to an obstruction in the road? How do I handle that situation? In those situations, you need to have knowledge and be able to take that knowledge and put it into practical application or abilities and apply that knowledge in that situation. That's what wisdom is. Let me share a story with you about wisdom. Because wisdom is important. There once was a farmer who had a mule. And he loved this mule. I mean, this, this, this mule worked the field, carried the farmer's tools. He carried the farmer's equipment all around the farm. He, he pulled things for the farmer. He did everything you can think of. And all was good. Until one day, the farmer went away, left the mule, came back, and the mule was gone. Now, the farmer was in the process of digging a well. He went down and he looked at this well, and this well's really deep right now. It's about 15 feet deep. And he sees his buddy, the mule, in the hole. He doesn't have the equipment to get the mule out. He's, he's scared for his friend because the mule's upset. And it's just sitting down there in this well. So he, the farmer doesn't know what to do. He doesn't have the knowledge of how to get this mule out. So he goes over to his next door neighbor, farmer, 
just down the road from him. And this farmer is a godly man and an older wise man. He says to him, can you help me out? So they go over to the well hole and they're looking down. And the neighbor looks and he says, give me a minute, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God for wisdom on how to handle this situation. After a while, he comes back and he says to the farmer, I've got an answer for you, but you're not going to like it. The farmer says, well, what am I supposed to do? The old farmer looks at him and says, you're going to have to bury him. The farmer went, wait a minute, bury him? I mean, this is, what do you mean bury him? He's going to have to bury him. And he walked away. So the farmer, after listening to this wisdom, this godly man who just prayed, tells him to bury his mule and end his life, doesn't make sense to him. But then after contemplating, he decides to grab a shovel. And dirt-filled shovel after dirt-filled shovel, he throws it into the well. He starts to try and bury this mule, his best friend. His work horse. Wouldn't you know, after a little bit, this mule's down there, seeing the dirt thrown on its back, starts to shake it off its back and stomp on it because it's mad. And shovel after shovel, he starts shaking off all the dirt. And the next thing you know, the farmer starts to realize he's filling in the hole. And he fills in the hole just enough for this mule to climb out of the hole. So the moral of the story, guys, is simple. Sometimes wisdom comes to us in unexpected ways. But if we listen to true wisdom, if we listen to godly wisdom, we can get ourselves out of any hole that we may have fallen into or dug ourselves into. With the help of God, with the help of others, that's what I'm talking about today. The godly neighbor had the knowledge and he prayed for wisdom to get the mule out. But sometimes you give wisdom to your friends and your neighbors and they're not going to want to listen to it. And they're not going to understand it. But they start to do it they will eventually start to see the light in the wisdom that you give them because it's from God. They might not even understand, but again, they can get themselves out of trouble if they listen to you. The problem is many people don't want to listen to your wisdom. Many people don't see the wisdom in following God. And that's the scary thing. The scary thing is they'd rather be buried to death than fight like this mule. They'd rather give up than fight like this mule. We all fall at one time or another. And sometimes it's into a bigger hole than we think or we can even imagine getting ourselves out of. But the truth is, if we listen to the wisdom of God, and if we listen to godly people, 
and we don't give up, and we fight like the mule. We fight and fight until we get out of the hole. Life is going to be really difficult for many. Too many people, after dirt's thrown on them over and over again, or they fall into a hole that's too big for them to get themselves out of, they give up, they stay buried, and they die. The difference between those who are fighting, those who are try-harders, those who don't give up, don't ever give up, those kind of fighters, those people, the difference between them is they're able to get out of the hole is not a matter of when am I going to get out of the hole, or I'm sorry, it's not a matter of how I'm going to get out of the hole, it's a matter of when am I going to get out of the hole. And that's what God's calling us to do. For those who have truth and the willpower to follow the truth, it becomes not that matter of hoping, but that matter of knowing when. Because you're listening to true wisdom. You're listening to knowledge that comes from God. It comes from the scriptures. And God is able to do more than we can all imagine or even think. Especially getting us out of holes. That's why James is telling his people here that if you lack anything like wisdom, ask God for it. Who gives generously without reproach. And it will be given to him. Many don't ask God for wisdom. In fact, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, it will be opened. For which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father, who's in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? James is dealing with a people in a church and around the nation, the Mediterranean area, the 12 tribes, the 12 dispersions, the Jewish Christians. He's talking to them about they don't know what or want to know what wisdom is. Remember, he's writing this to the churches so they can learn how to follow God. Wisdom is one part of following God, especially asking for wisdom is one part. He then turns to how we practically should apply or ask for wisdom without doubting. One of the most important parts of asking for wisdom is prayer. He tells them to pray to God and ask for wisdom. Jesus also touched on this. He says this is how you should pray. Jesus said this, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our debts or our trespasses or our sins as we forgive those who trespass or sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. 
for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. James brings in another aspect of this praying to God thing. It's in chapter 1, verse 6. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. Many of us ask, and I'm going to get into this later, but many of us ask, and we doubt that God's going to do anything for us. Faith with no doubting. That's what he's talking about here. Prayer demands faith or trust in the word in Greek is trust that God will do what he says he's going to do. It doesn't mean that God is some kind of genie. That's why I called the stuff last week, the health and prosperity gospel, health and wealth, name it, claim it, is garbage. God is not some kind of genie. That's not real Christianity. You don't just rub the bottle, oh, I wish I could have more wishes. You ask God in faith without doubting. You trust that God's going to do what he says he's going to do. It may not happen the way you and I think it should happen or the you and I, the timing it should happen, but God is never late. He's seldom early. He's always on time. That's the problem. Many people pray, and I'm guilty of it, guys. I am a sinner hypocrite just like everybody else. I have prayed so many times for patience. And then I turn around and I go, I want my patience now. How hypocritical. Patience takes time. Patience takes endurance. Patience takes testing. I encourage you. God is not some kind of gene you can ask for. Anything you want, God will do it. In fact, we're going to get it, we're going to talk about more of this in James chapter 4, but that's another that's another sermon because we always ask for all the wrong reasons it says in James chapter 4. So what is faith? God gives us the definition of what faith is. Let me read it to you. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says this, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. Let me say that again. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Paul tells us what faith is as well in 2 Corinthians 4.18. As we look not to things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. He also tells us in chapter 5, verse 7, that we walk by faith, not by sight. Faith, as defined by Vine's Dictionary, is a firm persuasion, a conviction based upon hearing or trust. Faith is a firm persuasion, a conviction based upon hearing or trust. It's a personal surrender to him and his control. That's what faith is. I trust that God's promise will come to fruition and I rest on his ability to have our best interest in mind. That's what faith is. Sometimes we think, bury the mule or give up or start over. 
And yet God knows exactly what we need or what needs to happen and how it's going to happen if we just trust him, if we just have faith in him. Not trusting in God is exactly what James is saying here and what it's like not trusting God fully. We're like the waves of the sea that are driven and tossed by the wind. You ask and don't receive because you're like a double-minded man, unstable in all your ways. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, trusted, believed for, the convictions of things not seen. We might not understand why our godly neighbor tells us to bury the mule. But if we are godly and we're praying and we're asking for help and we have godly people giving us advice and knowledge and then we start to put that knowledge into practice, that's what wisdom is. We start to see different events start to happen. God's will starts to come true and alive in our lives. It's not our job to determine whether God is actually going to do or give us wisdom for what we ask. It's our job to do the asking and leave it up to God and his timing to do as he promised. Let me say that again. It's not our job to determine whether God is actually going to give us wisdom for what we ask. It's our job to do the asking and leave it up to God and his timing to do as he promised. Let me give you some promises from Jesus Christ himself. Are you ready for this? I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's not going to give up on us. I will always be there even to the end of the age, Jesus says. If God is for us, who can be against us? I'm the bread of life, Jesus says. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I am the door, Jesus said. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus said this, I am the good Shepherd, you know this church, you know I have told you this since the beginning of my time being here. I will fail you. I will not be there for you. I will not be the best thing you ever need. But I know the one who will. That's Jesus Christ. That's God himself. I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to give God all the glory. This is not for me. This is not so that we can be better than anybody else. Every time people come to me and ask me, Pastor, can you do this or that? I'll do my best. I will. I promise you that. But my best is never going to be good enough. And I know that. I pray that you know that. But God's best is always good enough. Jesus said, I know my own, and my own know me. There will be one flock, one shepherd. No one takes it from me. 
but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have the authority to take it back up. Jesus is talking about his own life and dying for sinners. Jesus said this, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he may die, yet he shall live. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe that, church? Do you believe that? Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I do not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me does not receive my words as a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment to say and what to speak. And I know this commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. These are the promises of Jesus Christ. They're his words to us. Do you have faith? Do you trust? Do you trust that Jesus is telling the truth? I've done enough sermons on the fact that Jesus is who he says he is. That he did the things that he said he did. Over and over again, he has done miracle after miracle. And the eyewitness accounts that we have of him, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Tacitus, who's a Roman historian who wasn't a believer, Josephus, who's a Jewish historian, they all wrote about Jesus. How many eyewitness accounts do you need to know that this man was real, that he lived a life, that he did the things that he said he did, in order for you to believe in the truth? Because once you believe in the truth, the truth will set you free. Do you believe in the truth? That's the real question here that James is talking about when he says you need to ask for wisdom. And you'll receive it because God gives it to us generously to all those who ask without reproach or without finding fault. When all is said and done, many of you will see in the end, that God has given us more wisdom in times of trouble than we realized and answered more prayers than we thought he did. The problem is many don't want to ask for help. Many don't pray for God's wisdom because we don't want to believe that God is going to do what he says he's going to do or how he should do it. That's the problem. It's not our job to determine whether God's actually going to do or give us wisdom for what we ask. It's our job to do the asking and leave it up to God. His timing to do as he promised. Don't give up in times of trouble. Don't give up when it's hard. When life knocks you down, get back up. Call a friend, call a neighbor. When your mule gets stuck in a hole, call someone godly and ask for wisdom with them. Pray to God and ask for wisdom from him on who you should talk to, who you should call. Don't give up.
Don't give up in times of trouble. Be a try harder. Be someone who wants to fight the good fight. Run the race to win it. This is a marathon, it's not a sprint. Too many people think this life is a sprint. Too many want to make a million dollars before they're 30 so they can retire and not do anything they want or, or not have to work anymore. Those who make enough money by the age of 65 or 70 to retire realize that life is short. They realize that it doesn't last long. What are you doing with your life, church? What's your legacy going to be when you're leaving that behind? When you leave this earth, what are people going to say about you? What are your friends and your family going to say about you? Do you know who Jesus Christ is? Do you know Christ and Christ alone? Do you know Scripture and Scripture alone? Do you know grace and grace alone? Do you know who Jesus Christ is? Do you know that Christ died to save the world from themselves? We all live in times of trouble. Life is hard. Life can hit hard. It's not about how hard life hits. It's about the fact that you get up again. The fact that you have friends with you that can help you get back up. <clears throat> if you don't know who Christ is, if you don't know who that man is who died to save the world, I want you to pray with me. I'm going to pray, but you need to pray this prayer with me. Do it right now in your homes. It's simple. I want you to pray to the Lord. Just call out to him. Lord, I don't know if you're real. I don't know if I can follow you. I see all these Christians that talk about you, and I see all these things that are happening in the world today. But Lord, I pray out to you. I pray to the Lord. And then I ask. I ask for forgiveness. I, I repent of my sins. So I'm asking for forgiveness, and now I'm repenting of my sins. I'm turning from my ways. I'm no longer going to follow my way. I'm going to follow your ways, because your ways are always best. And Lord, then I'm going to yield my life to you. It's a simple prayer. Pray to the Lord. Ask for forgiveness. Repent of your sins. Yield your life to Christ. Pray. P-R-A-Y. Pray to God. Yield your life to Christ. Let the work of the Holy Spirit come into your life and change the way you think. Don't be conformed any longer to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, and you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.13 tells us that. And it's by faith that we are saved. It's by grace. That's a gift of God. It's by grace you've been saved through faith, through trusting that Jesus did and said what he said he did and did what he did. No one can boast. Romans 11.29 says that all God's gifts 
and callings are irrevocable. So if you believe that Jesus Christ came, died for your sins, rose again on the third day, guess what? You will be saved. Confess it with your mouth. Believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's not about perfection. Christianity has never been about bad people becoming good people. It's about dead people becoming alive. That's what I encourage you guys to do. In the midst of these trials, ask God for wisdom. Don't doubt that he's going to give it to you. He's going to give you the knowledge when you pray and then the wisdom to apply that knowledge in your life, especially in your life when it's hard times, when you're going through trials, which we all are going through right now. This nation is going through a trial. Pray for the workers who've lost their jobs. Pray that they can get those jobs back. Pray that our government, notice one thing, by the way, I never call them leaders. They're not my leaders. They're my representatives. They don't lead anything for me. I put them there because I voted. And so I don't call them my leaders. They're my servants. And if they were really good leaders, they would serve the people well. Unfortunately, they bicker and fight too much. Both sides. So pray for our government that they'd stop being not leaders that they'd stop thinking about themselves and the money that they make and start trying to help people who are in real need. That's what we need to have of our government, whether it's the government in Michigan, whether it's the government in Ohio, whether it's the government in Florida, but the whole government, the federal government, all of them need to stop bickering, stop fighting with each other, and start working together to take care of the needs of their representatives. That's what real leadership is. Being servants to the people who put you there. I'm calling out to all of you. Republican, Democrat, Independent, Libertarian, all of you. Stop fighting and start working for the people. I don't know where I learned that from. Maybe it was the Constitution. But I know one thing. God establishes government. Romans 13 tells us that. So do your jobs. Start asking God for wisdom. Start looking to real biblical leadership in your life and start looking for wisdom there. Ask God. He's the one who gives generously without finding fault when you ask for wisdom. Too many of you think you're smart enough, that you know enough, that you know better than others. Start asking for God. That's what I'm asking us as a church Start asking God for wisdom. I'm going to pray for us. But I'm asking us to really truly ask God in prayer for wisdom. Taking that knowledge that we learned from him in his word. Taking the word and asking him to put that knowledge into practice for us. Because he gives it to us generously. And I pray that all of us don't do it with doubting. That we would truly believe and trust. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now. We come to you as a nation that is hurting. 
We have people that are dying from a, a, dis, a disgusting disease. A disease that's COVID-19. And you know that this was going to happen, Lord. But I pray for wisdom in regards to this. Please, Lord, give the doctors the wisdom and the knowledge of what to do and how to do it. Lord, I pray for this church and the elders that we'd have the wisdom of when we are to open back up and how we are to open back up so we can offer a light and be a light and be a beacon of truth to this world that's so lost right now. Lord, we've tried to run to our entertainment, to our sporting entertainments, to our Netflix and Prime videos and YouTubes and all these different things, Lord, but help us to run to you. Lord, I think of what's going to be preached soon where it says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trials. For when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. We get the crown of life, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that those who don't know Jesus Christ would come to know Jesus Christ. That we as Christians would be the church. Not just have church, but be the church that as real leaders, as I preached before, would serve. We would first ultimately serve you as we're trying to serve others. Lord, I pray for this area. I pray for our Jerusalem, Grand Rapids, Michigan. I pray for our Judea, Michigan. All of that. Everyone who's over in the Detroit area, Lord, heal them of this disease. Give them wisdom to not spread it unwillingly or unknowingly. Lord, I pray for the Samaria, the United States of America, that we would have leaders, that we would have a government that would want to serve you and your purposes, which is to love everyone. We've talked about what love is before, Lord, and so I just pray that people who don't know what love is, that they would look up what love is. I pray even to the ends of the earth. I pray for all those who are in China. I pray for all those who are in Japan. I pray for all those who are in Europe, in Russia, in all the different areas of the world, Africa, all over, Lord. We pray that as this virus is spreading, that you would do your will, that your will would be to stop the virus from spreading, that we as Christians who are praying, you would hear our prayers, and in your timing, you would do your will, and your will would be done, and we would be okay with it, that we would understand it, that we would know why certain things happen. Lord, I pray for this place. I thank you for all that you have done and are continuing to do. Lord, I pray for the past. It's in the past and we don't need to think about it or revel in it, but we can just learn from it. Lord, I pray for the future. We don't know what's going to happen, but we pray your will to be done. But most importantly, Lord, I pray for the present. That's why it's a gift. And we call it the present. I pray in the present time right now, Lord, that we would look to you for true wisdom, true understanding. And as a people and as a nation, we would always turn to you in your ways, not our ways. That we wouldn't be conformed any longer to this world, but we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So we'll know your good and perfect will for our lives. 
Jesus, you said in John 14, 14, ask anything in my name and it will be given to you. Lord Jesus, I ask all these things in your name. Amen.